Good morning. I think this is the first Sunday in about five weeks that we didn't have snow. So if you're superstitious, you can knock on wood right now. But if you believe in the providence of God, then you don't have to. <laughs> All right. Well, this morning I want to look at short-term missions. And I think this is appropriate considering that uh, today is the deadline for anyone who wants to go to India to sign up. And if you're interested in that, you can see me afterwards. be happy to talk to you about that. And um, All right, so let's have a word of prayer before we begin this morning. Father, we're thankful for the prospect of reaching people for the sake of Jesus Christ and seeing churches established. Thank you for the responsibility that we have in it and the great privilege that we have to be, be a part of this. May you help us to uh, be willing to send people out in a manner worthy of you, and that they would go out for the sake of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we want to answer several questions this morning. First, what is short-term missions work? We've kind of been looking at overall um, the, the purpose of missions, why God. Remember I said that the first several classes we were looking at more the theology of missions. What does the Bible have to say? How does God think about missions? And now we want to turn to more of the practical side of missions. What does this look like in our in our church and, and how we conduct ourselves? So before we identify what short-term missions work is, can someone just refresh our memory by telling us what missionary work is? What is a missionary? What's the difference between a missionary and, let's say, a pastor, for example? Jared? Good. Lots of good things in that explanation. Sent out by the church for the purpose of planting churches. Uh, crossing cultures. Okay, That's the difference between, like for example, what I do and what a missionary does. I, I don't cross a culture. I, I'm in the same culture that you're in. Um, a lot of times crossing a culture means changing a language, uh, uh, having to, to learn another language. Okay, So, so what about short-term missions uh, work? How could we define that? Again, both the word missionary and the idea of short-term missions work are not in the Bible. So we're just uh, kind of as Christians coming up with the, these ideas. Missionary, not that missionary is unique to us, but, but the word missionary isn't in, in the Bible at all. Okay, So when we make that definition, don't think, well, that's, that's a biblical definition uh, directly from the Scriptures. Okay, But we could call a short-term um, missionary one who crosses a culture to spread the gospel with the goal of planting churches. That, that's actually just missions work. And then short-term missions would be missions work that is generally less than one year. So take everything from the definition of the first part, crossing a culture, uh, spread the gospel. And then um, the second part is less than a year. Now, obviously, people are going to differ on, on, on this. Uh, to an extent, they, they might say, well, it's less than two years of short-term missions work. We don't need to get into all that. But, but generally, it's, it's, I, would, I would see it as 
often a few weeks to less than a year. Once you get farther than a year, it, it starts to become more permanent or at least more, uh, more of an established work. A few examples of short-term missions work. Uh, maybe to, to encourage overseas workers by ministering to the long-term missionaries that are there. Okay, Obviously, the idea of a long-term missionary would be someone who's there for longer than what? Right, Longer than a year. Long-term missionary, short-term missionary, shorter than a year. So short-term missionaries or someone who goes on a short-term missions trip could go and encourage long-term missionary. Uh, another example would be to to uh, meet with people who are in that area, give out copies of the Bible uh, in areas where long-term workers may not be able to. So maybe even some initial um, surveying, like a survey-type trip for the sake of long-term mission work to be established. Another example would be a a building project of some kind, like First Baptist Sterling Heights is going to uh, Uruguay in uh, this, I think, towards the end of the summer or this fall. And they're going to help out Archie Perez there and uh, set up a building that they've been wanting to do. And so that that could be another example of a short-term missions trip or maybe put on a vacation Bible school, something like that. Uh, Another one, uh, another possibility or an example might be with um, going out to help long-term workers develop relationships with locals by, you know, teaching English or doing some kind of a workshop on uh, just how to improve their quality of living. There's lots of different ways in which short-term missions can be done. So the second question we want to answer is, is short-term work modeled in the Scripture? Is short-term missions work modeled in the Scripture? Turn to Acts chapter 10. Many American Christians are involved in short-term missions trips. But because they are, that doesn't necessarily make them right. doesn't necessarily mean that, that that's a biblical thing to do. So before we consider other facets of short-term mission work and whether or not we should do that, we need to see the biblical basis for, for short-term missions work. And the first example comes in Acts chapter 10, which seems to be some kind of a short-term missions trip that's done by Peter to... The, the Gentiles, he's, again, he's crossing a culture. He's going for less than the area. Apparently, he's only there for a few weeks. And, he, um, and he's, he's obviously doing this with the, with the goal of seeing churches planted eventually. And um, obviously, Peter was opposed to this. He, he uh, didn't want to go to the Gentiles. He, he thought... You know, these are unclean people, and and why should I go there? Look at verse 23. He invited them in and gave them lodging, talking about Cornelius with Peter and his uh, attendants. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa uh, accompanied him. So this is actually Cornelius' messengers coming to Peter saying, hey, listen, Cornelius had this vision from God, and he's saying to come and get you. And then... uh, Look at verse 24. On the following day, he entered Caesarea, that is Peter. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. And then verse 30. Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he goes on and explains his his vision that he had received from God. And then um, after 
after um, after they are they hear the message after these people are saved notice what happens in verse 46 for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting and Peter answered and okay when you think of speaking in tongues recognize that this is a, an an expression of the holy spirit coming on them that the the holy spirit is approving of their acceptance of salvation verse 47 Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So uh, we have uh, apparently uh, a, a genuine a genuine uh, belief in Jesus Christ followed by by baptism and this would eventually lead to the establishment of, of a church. But Peter doesn't appear to stay there. In fact, look at verse 2 of chapter 11. When Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him. Remember here, Peter was reporting back to the church at Jerusalem what happened with Cornelius, and he explains to them this whole story all over again. We just read about it in chapter 10. Peter had a vision. Cornelius had a vision. They come together. Now Peter's going to say the same thing again and explain it to them and uh, and uh, start to see that, that this is actually something of God. All right, so there's one example and uh, probably not the, the best example. So here's a better example, I think, is Paul's missionary journeys in Acts 13 and 14. Paul it, um, seems to model what, it, what ought to happen in, in short-term missions trips. In his book, uh, Short-Term Missions, Max Stiles, uh, this is an excellent book, by the way, just on uh, some of the, the values of, of going on short-term mission trips, kind of some of the things we ought to be expecting and uh, learned, learned a lot just in reading this this past week. I would commend it to you. There are some things, uh, like with every book that you read that's not the Bible, there are some things you just need to, uh, to read with discernment, but, but overall it's a, a very good book. And uh, he mentions in there that Paul's, Paul's first missionary journey is basically a series of short-term mission trips because from the time that he starts, he sent out with Barnabas from the church at Antioch in Syria, from the time that he sent out to the time he finishes, gets back and reports to them all that's happened. You know how long that lasted? Any ideas? 10 years? 15 years? Should I keep going higher? Five, one and a half years. So he's gone for a total of a year and a half on his first missionary journey, and obviously he's going to multiple cities which means that he can't stay in... He's probably there for just a few months, tops, in each place. Okay, so, so the point of that is, is that this first missionary journey seems to be just a series of short-term mission trips. He's going to a place, and one of the things I said we could do is actually reach out to the locals, give them Bibles, talk to them about the Scriptures, and apparently what Paul was doing was establishing churches and then he would either leave a leader there or he would just move on and then come back. Come back the same way, hit those churches on the way back and just check on things and how they were going. Second missions trip, the second missionary journey, I should say, was about the same. He, he basically averaged about three months in each area in places like Philippi and Thessalonica. And, uh, and so he seems to be his primary mission he he wanted to go to places that were unreached, places that had not heard the gospel before. And that's why he said, there's nothing left for me to do here. Because 
not because every single person had heard, but because he had already established a church in an area and now it was time to move on. That's why he wanted to go to Spain. He wanted to go uh, to Asia and other places. And um, and uh, in some cases, the Spirit prevented him. In some cases, the Spirit delayed him. But eventually, the Gospel would, would reach to Spain. I, I think uh, Paul ends up going there after his, his uh, time in prison in Rome. So, it seems to me that uh, I, I agree with uh, Max Stiles' point here in, in his book that, that it seems to me that part of what Paul was doing was basically, in some sense, uh, uh, just an extended short-term mission trip. He was doing it for a period of time in one area, crossing a culture, seeking to establish churches, being sent out from a church. Okay, Again, again you're not going to see any rogue missionaries here. We're just kind of, well, I want to do my own thing. This is something that's being sent out from a church for the purpose of establishing churches and then moving on to another area. And uh, obviously Paul uh, had sort of a different role than most of us uh, have, or maybe we even see many people have. You don't see a lot of people that have the same sort of role where they're trying to go to a different area, plan a church. And part of that is because of the nature of, of that time. That Remember, this is early on in church's history. Acts 2 is when the church started. And so there was the, the gospel needed to spread and spread quickly, and part of that was Paul. Some people would call him an evangelist, uh, different than the evangelist we tend to think about, which is kind of a uh, itinerant preacher in the states going around doing kind of revival services and then moving on. Uh, those guys generally, especially the TV evangelists, aren't sent out generally from a church. They're kind of just their own rogue guys and you want my services, I'll, I'll come to your place type of thing. But it seems like Paul's mission work as an evangelist was actually to go to a place, share the gospel. Remember, he would go to the synagogue first, share the gospel, see people come to Christ, baptize them, establish some kind of a church, some, set up some structure of leadership, and then come back and check on them. And uh, so... There's great value, I think, obviously, to what Paul was doing, and I think there is great value, even though slightly different what we do. Um, short-term mission work, I think, has value. All right, so any thoughts on that? Any questions? Greg? Paul was in prison in Rome. Um, I I can't remember if it was Apollos that started the church in Rome. I, I don't I can't think of any time when Peter was in Rome. He kind of hung out closer to Jerusalem, but I could be wrong on that. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I I honestly don't know the answer to that. I would have to do some research to does anyone else have any thoughts on that? Peter ever in Rome? Bill? Uh, My first thought was that would be something that the Catholics would say because of the succession of popes that come from Peter. And so, obviously, if, you know, um, Catholicism basically starts in Rome and really is centered there then it would make sense that Peter would have to be there at some point in order to validate that city and location. But I'm just guessing. I don't I don't know. I haven't 
looked into that at all. Uh, yeah, and that's, I don't think we have any clear evidence, but I think historians suggest that he was, that he was martyred. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize this was going to be a quiz show today, Greg. <laughs> I would have been more prepared. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't recall. Thank you. Uh, Jim? Right. 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 All right. Good questions. Next uh, next question we want to answer is, is short-term work useful? Okay. Is short-term work useful? And I think there are several reasons why they are useful, which is... I think I'm having trouble with my battery here. Which is why I I encourage archers to do them every year, and and um, I I pray that we can continue to do them. It is short-term work helpful or useful? Now, Scripture doesn't command short-term trips as a primary methodology of reaching people with the gospel, and so we have to ask the question: Is there effectiveness in is it effective for us to go on short-term mission trips? Is it helpful to the advance of the gospel if we take part in a short-term trip? And I want to suggest uh, several ways that short-term work adds to the overall effort to carry the gospel around the world. Number one, it helps us to encourage long-term workers. This is one of the great values. In fact, one of the goals that I put it towards the top of our list every year that we go. We want to encourage the long-term workers um, when when we visit to places where we haven't been or places where we have been, it's helpful for us just to spend time encouraging them uh, in the work that they do. And one of the great things is simply just being there. Uh, the way that I often think about it is, is if your family member lived in another area of the country or another area of the world, Sometimes it might be helpful for you to just send them money. Maybe they're struggling financially. It might be helpful in that way. But I think if I were in that situation, what I would want most would be for my family to come and visit me, right? To actually see me, not not for the sake of me, but, but to actually experience what I experienced, help them to understand a little bit more carefully what's going on. And I think the missionaries are the same way. They they find great value in people who take an interest in their Work and who are simply just there, show love to them in in their home, in in their place of of ministry. And uh, so we we try to, as long as the Lord provides, I I intend to try to take a trip once a year. Another way that these trips can encourage long-term workers is by providing practical help and maybe special projects like we talked about, uh, for example. You know, making a mural for the wall at the church in San Pedro, uh, Ivory Coast. There, there's an example of a project that can be done to use, use to help the church. Maybe some sort of teaching, just encouraging believers there, not just the missionaries, but encouraging believers as well. Finally, we should note one other thing. Uh, while short-term mission trips can be encouraging to the workers over there, we need to be careful about protecting them and protecting their security. So. This is particularly important in places where 
the countries are, are considered closed countries, that is, closed to the gospel. They would be opposed to churches being started. They would be opposed to, to uh, the work of, of, of a Baptist ministry particularly. And so we have to be careful that we don't put our missionaries in a bad spot. So we'll talk about this next week when we look at closed countries. But, um, but we need to just be, be guarded. We don't want to endanger their safety in any way. All right, so short-term work can can be helpful in that way by encouraging long-term workers. Secondly, it can help us to test the call for full-time service. You know, perhaps we're starting to get a desire to go to the mission field. One one of, if not the best way to, to, to test that call is to actually go there and just experience it for yourself. And obviously, this is a new phenomenon for us in our society with... Um, basically the world becoming much smaller in the sense that we can get there a lot easier. Uh, William Carey wouldn't have been able to test a call like this to go to India and say, I'm going to just try it out for a few weeks. Um, obviously, that's that's just not possible in, in that case because it was a several months' journey across the Atlantic and and whatever. So, um, so for us, I think we have a great advantage in that way to be able to test the call to okay, uh, is is there potential fruitfulness that I can bring about as a result of crossing this specific culture and relating with these specific people? Uh, maybe it's a climate thing. Can I adapt to this kind of climate? Maybe you're you're uh, opposed to to very cold climates, and so it wouldn't work for you to be a missionary up in northern Canada or something. But... Um, obviously, since you're here today, you're probably not opposed to cold climates. But maybe you're opposed to extremely hot and dry climates, right? And uh, I don't think anybody would admit that right now because we're all looking for a hot and dry climate in the near future. Um, maybe it's the the type of uh, lifestyle that's... All, I mean, obviously, here we, we live in a pretty cushy, comfortable lifestyle. And, and wherever you're thinking about going, maybe a lot different. It might be a huge... Uh, cultural gap that might have to be to be reached uh, to, to be crossed, I should say. All right. Next is it allows you to test the desires of your heart. So this is very similar to a call. Um, I I see the call as I mentioned last week as as an internal, what I would say is a subjective call and an external objective call. The internal call is, I feel a desire to go. The external call, the, the objective is, is the church, does the church see you as ready to go? Are you prepared to go? Are you a mature Christian? Someone that can be sent out from the church? Do you need more training? That sort of thing. So I would say that th- both of those need to be, be there in order for it to be um, something that's of God. So this going on a short-term trip helps you to test your desires uh, with regard to this, with regard to this ministry, I, I think sometimes when it comes to the work of missions, we tend to over to over romanticize the work of missions. In fact, uh, Elizabeth Elliot, who wrote *From the Gates of Splendor* about her ministry and Jim Elliot's ministry to Nate Saint and those men who went to the Aka Indians, and she says, what tends to happen when it when it comes to missionaries is that we tend to dramatize what's going on over there. So, for example, missionaries don't go, they go forth. See how pretty that language is? And then she says, uh, they don't walk, 
but they tread the burning sands. And instead of, uh, instead of dying on the mission field, they lay down their lives for the sake of the Gospel. See, uh, short-term missions is actually a good way for us to, to get away from those romantic ideas of what it's all about. That it's all just, just roses and, and, uh, and puppy dogs and so on. And start to see that there are some real challenges here. This is real life. I may hit a, a wall when it comes to the work that I'm doing here. And what am I going to do? Because these people are just ordinary people like you and me. And, and um, I, I need to see if this is something that's of God. And I think short-term mission trips are a great way to kind of test that idea, test those desires. All right. Next. Uh, there's a couple more I just want to say. I didn't put them on there. But uh helps us to grow in faith. Max Stiles says the short-term mission trip is an instrument God uses to help Christians learn to trust Him in deeper and profound ways. When you are taken out of your element, uh, your normal way of life, and you move to a place that's a different culture and there's obviously some unknown dangers that, that lurk there and um, it, it causes you to, to think in a little bit deeper and more profound ways. <clears throat> Short-term mission trips can also... Uh, help bring other people to Christ. Your your work in another place in the world could be helpful in reaching people for the sake of the gospel. So, like for one, for example, when we went to New York, one of our responsibilities was to uh, to pass out tracks in the subway and try to encourage people to read them and to come to the services there that that Tim Richmond is having there in Queens and. And uh, who knows, something like that or maybe sharing the gospel with somebody. We, Jennifer and I had an opportunity while we were there to talk to, talk to a man. Uh, actually, it was mostly her. I kind of came in late to the conversation, but I think he was, a, was an Indian guy from India and uh, was really seriously considering some things with regard to the gospel. And, and uh, Jennifer had an opportunity to share the gospel with him. And, and uh, so, so that kind of thing can be useful to obviously not only to God's kingdom but also to the long-term missionaries that are that are there. All right, any questions on the usefulness of missions work? Jim. Yeah, and I, <clears throat> yeah, it's amazing how much actually mutual encouragement there is that you are going to encourage them by helping them in some way, but also you come away thinking, wow, what a great God that we serve in allowing these people to work here. Hmm. 
how can we maximize the usefulness of short-term trips? Number one, learn about the culture. There's a great book that's been put out, and it's not by a, a, a Christian from our sorts of circles, kind of more broadly Christian. But what they do is they just explain the basic cultural differences of all the areas of the world, what kind of language groups you should be expecting based on where you go. It's called Operation World, and it's it's an opportunity. And they also just list prayer requests, things you should be praying about with regard to the political situation and the religious situation. Uh, tell all the demographics of the religious um, the religious spread that there is in these countries. And it's just a helpful way for us to go so that we don't walk into a country blind to what kind of cultural things that, that we should be expecting. So learn about the culture. I think that would be a great thing just to to increase our awareness, our sensitivity toward what we we are going to do. One of the things that I I do when I talk to these missionaries before we go is there's something that we should know. So, for example, in Brazil, this here is not a good symbol. In the States, that's okay. Everything's good. But in Brazil, that, that actually is the equivalent of the middle finger. So, uh, it's funny because uh, that's not funny. But but what is funny is that they had the uh, the Buddhists have their statues, and we actually went and visited a Buddhist temple, and all their statues have this, are, have this sort of... And what they don't realize is, again, this is part of that... Um, remember that contextual contextualization that we were talking about? That if you just go to another country and just think, I can just uh, throw in my cultural ideas into their place and expect them to get it, uh, I don't think that really that really makes it in in the Brazilian culture. Uh, the other thing that we learned when we went to Ivory Coast is don't use your left hand to to hand somebody something or to take it away. That's the that hand is considered unclean. It's used for uh, doing things that are unclean, and so that will offend people. So we we worked hard not to wave with our left hand or receive anything or give anything. Uh, there's just uh, that sort of thing. So, so learn about the culture as much as you can. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9:22. I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. Some, and I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul was breaking from his Jewish traditions in order to reach Gentiles primarily. He remember he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, an expert when it came to the Jewish law. And yet he understood that his mission was going to mean that he'd have to, to leave some of that cultural baggage behind when he when he arrived and started working with with the uh, Gentiles. So we should be willing to consider uh, to adopting cultural norms. Like in Uruguay, the the greeting there is not a shaking of a hand, right? It's It's a kiss on the cheek. And so one of the things that if you want to if you want to help become all things to all men, then you need to, to be willing to do that, even men to men. But just don't bring that back home. We don't, we don't want that here. A uh, couple other things we could say about that, but uh, you know, instead of going to the local McDonald's and making sure you get a burger and fries, how about trying the food that's there? Uh, try to adapt to the, the culture in which uh, you are. Max Stiles recounts a story of his wife when she was in uh, a Maasai village and uh, in Kenya. And for, for, uh, for a time, they had gone into a village to visit some families. And his wife had taken their small child into this little hut, which was made out of 
um, manure cakes, basically, and a little brown igloo-shaped place they get in, and they have a fire going in the middle of the, the floor, and part of that was so that they would just keep the bugs away, the smoke would keep the bugs away. They all sat around the fire, and when she came in, they took her baby and started spitting on him, pass, spitting on him, passing him around to each person they spit on on him. And then they expected both of them to drink this delicacy that they had, which was a curdled milk. Um, and, uh, of course, Mac, he, he's just he's just an adventurous type guy, and so he, he drinks it down no problem. And she's thinking, what is going on? They took my baby, they're spitting on him, and they're giving me sour milk. Why would I want to be here? And she, in fact, she got up, grabbed her baby, and left because she was so mad. And she gave her drink to her husband and said, Mac, you drink this, and uh, walked out. But what happened later is that she, she learned that that's just part of how they show love to, to a baby. That's uh, part of the way that they, they uh, interact and, and um, that this milk was not so bad, even though she had to learn how to stomach it. She learned how to, to love these people, not just put up with them. And uh, part of that is, is learning their culture and being willing to adapt to it. Uh, all right, let's turn. Let's move to the next one, which is return to the same place again and again. One of the second ways to maximize your usefulness in a specific area is to go back to the same place again and again. This gives you opportunities to develop relationships that you already have, not just with the missionaries, but with the people there. We we find that when we go on mission trips, we we develop relationships not just with the missionaries although that tends to be who we spend the most time with, but with other people. And so go back there. And what a, what a great thing it would be for them to see you come back again. Uh, we see this in Paul's own journeys. Remember, he, he goes back, he says to Barnabas in Acts 15:36, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached and see how they're all doing. So Paul's goal was to actually go back and, and kind of develop these relationships that he, he had already had. And this idea is not limited to short-term uh, missions. I think this is a great, great idea, a great way for us to reach people in our area. Go to the same place again and again. Do you have a, a restaurant that you like to go to? Why not make that your, your staple restaurant, that you go there all the time? I've got a friend who was saved uh, as he was, he was a, a server at Red Lobster. And there's a, a, another friend of ours who... He was just a godly Christian man. He's actually on the board at um, Maranatha Baptist Bible College. And one of his personal goals and ministries is just to reach out to people. And so he would go to the same place again and again, develop a relationship with my friend, and and be able to show him the, the power of love that comes through the gospel. And he eventually had an opportunity to share the gospel with him. And uh, now this friend of mine is in in ministry serving as an assistant pastor. So this is a great way. Go to the same barber, same dry cleaner, same coffee shop. What you what tends to happen, I was just thinking about this the other day, what Bill goes and picks up those donuts for us every Sunday and he tells me this lady knows him. You know, she she knows exactly what he's doing and they have, you know, at least some kind of a conversation that goes on and and that that's a great thing to do. Go back to the same place and the same people will see you and you'll have opportunity eventually to share the gospel with them. And uh, so that works just 
not just with mission trips, I think, and developing relationships, but also with evangelism here as well. All right, so the goal is not to, re- to for us as a church to get to every country in the world or put as many stamps on our passports as we can. We want to develop relationships with the people that we love and we are supporting. So that's why we're we're seeking at our church to go to each place where our missionaries reside and then circle back around and and go again and uh and see how things are going. It's not, you know, we're not done once we've seen them all on their field. We want to continue to go back, encourage them, help them in any way that we can. And uh this is a great way to develop relationships. Thirdly, partner with local believers. Another way to maximize your usefulness is to partner with local believers. It helps short-term travelers to be more sensitive to the local culture by obtaining valuable information and insights. It it helps to foster fellowship for isolated local Christians. And it's just a great thing practically to have local assistance for all the, the details, how and where to catch a bus and so on. So uh, obviously this is pretty natural for us. When I say local, I mean local to them where we're going. Uh, for us, it's pretty natural because we have a missionary who's basically alongside of us for most of the time that we're there. And um, but, but keep in mind that, that you are the foreigners. One of the shows that I like to watch is called um, Amazing Race. And one of my favorite uh, parts of it of all time was when uh, these two prima donna Americans are in, I think it was India or something, and uh, and they're frustrated with how they're being treated because people can't understand English. And <laughs> they basically call these people in their own country, and let's say let's say it's India, you stupid foreigners. It's like, no, you're the foreigner. Okay, you're the American. You're not supposed to be there. What we tend to do is we, as Americans, just expect everybody else to just, you know, bow to what we, you know, you need to learn English. No, we're not in our country. Okay, we're, we're in their country. We need to learn their language. We need to learn their culture and not force our ideas onto them. And that's why another thing that we ought to do is, even when it comes to the church, that we don't go over there to to be cynical about their ministry. Like, we, we, we think you could do this a lot better. We just arrived in the town, in, in their country, and we're expecting to know exactly how ministry works in, in this place. Now, obviously, there's something clearly sinful. Um, we need to address it. But, but one of the things that, that I like to encourage the people who go on the trip with me is just to, this is kind of just a vision trip. We want to see what's going on. We're not here to, to make changes it would be the equivalent of someone coming to the United States from a different culture and coming to our church and saying, all right, here's five things you need to change. We'd be like, you, you don't even know American culture. You just arrived here. Don't tell me what, what we need to change. So um, it's just, it's just uh, common sense and courtesy to do that. Next, maintain year-round relationships with workers. And I think this becomes more natural once you have have taken a trip, it just becomes natural. You want to to be involved in these people's lives. But I would encourage you that even if you don't take a trip or you never do, uh, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing sinful about not going on it. But what you should do is maintain relationships with these people in other countries. And you can do this a variety of ways. Uh, Pray for them. Email them. 
uh, send them a, a card, um, contact them on the phone. It's very inexpensive. In fact, if you have Skype, almost every single one of our missionaries would, be, would love to have a conversation with you via Skype, and, uh, and you could do that. You could just talk to them that way. One of the ways that we try to encourage them is just by leaving one of our suitcases available for them to fill up with whatever they would like. So we ask for what luxury items we can bring to you. And uh, so each person that comes on the trip, we try to fill up that second bag with with uh, chocolates and, and whatever else types of things. Like this last one, it was golden grams and lots of chocolate, of course. All right. And then finally, share your faith at home. Especially if you're thinking, God's calling me to the mission field. Uh, don't expect that you're all of a sudden going to get this, this driving passion to reach people for the sake of the gospel when you're in another culture. It's not going to happen. It doesn't happen that way. God allows you to be faithful in those types of things when you're faithful here. So start doing that now. Be faithful in sharing your faith now. If, if you're not looking to be faithful and to share your faith here, don't expect that it's going to happen in another country. Uh, start praying that God will give you opportunities. Start praying that God would enliven your heart in that way. And then finally, we have a blank for this. I think we do. See short-term missions as the mission of your church. See it as a mission of your church. That is part of the way that we develop our relationship and improve our relationship with our missionaries and the people who are there is by going on short-term missions. Okay, part of the way. And I want to I want to be clear on that because I don't want you to feel terrible if you never go on a trip. Okay, I I encourage you to go if you have the means to go. If if um. You know, if you have the desire to go, I would encourage you to go. It would do you well. It would do them well. But if you can't, if you are never led to do that sort of thing, then please don't feel terrible like you're not accomplishing the work of God. So recognize that this is part one of the ways in which our our church ministers to our missionaries. And and by the way, there's much more that goes on. In order for a trip like last year, for example, to be pulled off. We need the help of our church as a whole. We, we, we couldn't supply all the luxury items that we were taking. You know, the 30-some pounds of chocolate and, and, uh, and, and everything that you provided for it. Um, certainly, many of you gave to the mission trip so that other people would have the ability to go. So, so there's lots of ways, and certainly praying for us as we were gone uh, is another way in which you, you help. But, but I see this as an important ministry of our church in a way in which we can encourage our missionaries. And I think it's a very valuable um, tool that we can have, especially in this culture that allows us to just travel with such ease. All right. Any questions or comments? All right. Well, next week we'll talk about doing missions from here at home and kind of working from here out to the rest of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the prospect of final salvation in which we will experience eternal joy, uninterrupted joy, uninterrupted pleasure with our Savior, with You, our Father. And Lord, we also anticipate greatly the opportunity to share
share this time with people from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation, some of whom we, we have a part in seeing them saved because of our support through prayers and giving and going. And we pray that you'd help us to uh, recognize the great role that we have as senders and, and as short-term goers. May you uh, provide for us so that we can continue to encourage our missionaries in this way. We don't want the fi- them to feel as if they are alone. So please uh, give us the direction and wisdom as we seek to do this, we pray in Jesus.